You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to Land and Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Keith. Matt Dye is also here. We are very excited for this week's podcast because we have somebody who's been a huge inspiration to me um, over the years, way back from the first hunting videos I ever watched. And uh, it's just, and honestly, if he knew it, if and I'll tell him right now that he was pretty much an inspiration to me um, to get and want to be motivated to get into this industry and, and kind of uh, find my own way into it and Watching the one thing that always intrigued me and I guess always made it enjoyable for me to watch him and, and the people around him was it wasn't a matter of finding the biggest buck or shooting only mature deer. It was always about having fun. And it always looked like they were having fun and it always motivated me to, to try and keep it fun wherever I was at. And uh, I know Matt's probably watched him over the years. And uh, so we're in, extremely honored to have him on the podcast this week and that man is mr ronnie cuz strickland ronnie thanks for being here hey wow that's quite the introduction and uh look i'm i'm one of the old guys that have uh, embraced modern technology and you younger guys are making me proud you know it, it's 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 awesome to see that the next generation is as passionate about hunting as some of the guys that i grew up and went through this industry with and you guys are doing it right. Your website's amazing. Your podcasts are great. You're into real estate, and it just it just warms my heart, and I'm honored to be visiting with you this morning. We are very appreciative of you to be here. Um, if anybody knew the hassles we've gone to try and get this <laughs> recorded, but anyway, <laughs> we're very fortunate to have you here, and, and I, I've heard you speak several times and watch you over the years, but I heard you speak uh, at the QDMA National Convention this year, and you shared a story um, about the early 80s, I believe it was, and and we've talked about it uh, hanging out before at Bass Pro Shops, Fall Hunting Classic, stuff like that, but um, I would like you to share that, if you don't mind, that, that kind of story and what you learned about hunting during that time span. Well, I'm assume I assume you're talking about the big deer I killed, and it was in uh, 1981, and I was 27 years old, and I was I was still just I was infected with hunting as bad as anybody ever met. Don't know why that happened, <clears throat> but my and my dad was mostly a fisherman. But anyway, we grew up 
hunting the Homachita National Forest, all public land. We called it the game reserve, but that was my only hunting spot, and I loved it. still love it to this day. But this year I joined my first hunting club. We had leased some land from Georgia Pacific. It was, I think it was four of us, and we were paying $65 a piece. And, I, I look, I, I saved for like six months to do that. But anyway, now I'm in a hunting club. On this particular day, it was November the 27th, and uh, it was raining at daylight, and I was, I had the bottom half of an amateur climbing stand, which I bought at a garage sale. Couldn't buy the top half, but anyway, <laughs> I hugged the tree, <laughs> hugged the tree, and climbed up with my lever action open sided 30 30, and was looking at a big ravine. It was really thick, but there were some skitter trails going up and down, so it was kind of open. You had a little opening to look at left and right. And anyway, uh, Sometime, as the, if I remember right, it was 927. Remember that number, 27. And I, one of the guys in the hunting club was coming out. I could barely hear him through the woods on a Honda three-wheeler. They didn't have four-wheelers back then. Anyway, it was just deathly quiet after that rain had stopped. And as the guy went by way up there four, five, six hundred yards away, I, I, I think I heard this deer get up. And uh, I could see it coming through the thick. And I could just see bits and pieces and bits and pieces. So right before it got to this skitter trail, I pulled the hammer back on the lever action, open-sided 30-30, and this deer stepped into the trail. And as I was pulling the hammer back, it heard the click and turned and kind of faced me. I shot it right in the middle of the chest, and it just collapsed right there. And I went down, it was a... A giant deer, 27 scoreable points. I didn't know anything about scoring back then. Double drop times, double brow times, and, of course, you know, my, my only thought at the time was, man, I've got to get this one mounted because I had killed some really nice deer. I was married. I got married when I was very, very young. We couldn't afford to get any of them mounted. I had some racks at home just hanging up, and I said, by golly, I'm getting this one mounted, but. Anyway, it turned out to be a big deal because back then there wasn't a lot of 200-inch deer hitting the ground. This one ended up scoring 209 and 6.8. Oh, boy. And uh, it was, yeah, it started out very positive, and it was like, man, that's the coolest thing ever. I, back then they had these big buck contests. They were everywhere. And I entered all these big buck contests, and, of course, I won them all. I mean, it's a giant. And, uh, you know, and I won all these rifles. I won like seven or eight rifles with scopes on them and stuff. <laughs> wow. And I, I, I sold all those guns except one. I kept one. And I gave the money to my wife because I'm telling you, we needed some stuff, you know, whatever, washing, dryer. Anyway, the next year, like late August, I'm out there mowing the grass, and she comes outside with a glass of tea tapping me on the shoulder, and I stopped. She said, shouldn't you be out scouting for deer season? You know, like I'm gonna go kill another 200 inch deer yeah, yeah. when eight more guns. But <laughs> but anyway, you know, there I was working at a sporting goods store, and people would come in. They didn't know me from Adam, and they, uh, no pun intended there. Adam, but <laughs> they uh, they would say, uh, "Did you hear about that big deer?" I said, "Yeah, I heard about it." Well, you know that guy killed it on my grandfather's place. He was poaching, or he shot mm. it at night. And I was hearing all these stories going, "Really." Because I never said anything except what happened. You know, sure. it was a fluke. But uh, anyway, time goes on. One of the things I won was a free mount. And the guy that mounted it 
this is, you know, fast forward a year or two, he brings it back. And the guy that actually scored the deer came in and uh, the sporting did store. And he said, hey, I saw your deer over at so-and-so. I said, no, it's, it's hanging right here. It's never been anywhere. Come to find out the taxidermist had made a mold. First time I'd ever heard anybody mm-hmm. making a reproduction. And he sold a bunch of them and all that. Well, he went out of business. A year later, I wrote. A, I had a syndicated newspaper column by then, and I wrote about this. Right. Mentioned the guy's name, and this is 1982 now, and I'm talking about how people are getting too worked up over antlers. This is in the 82. Yeah. And anyway, that guy sues. Yeah, that guy sues me for defamation of character. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, the judge, the judge ended up throwing it out. But anyway, it was uh, another negative thing. And then once. I went to, shortly after that, I went to work for Will Primos, and I, he said, man, you got to put that deer head in the booth. And I was at the Buckarama and had that big deer head hanging on a pedestal there. And three very famous people that y'all would know if I mentioned their names, I'm not going to, walked down the aisle. One of them thumped it with his fingernail. He said, that's one of them fake deer. And he walked off, and I went around in front of him. I said, I, I introduced myself, and I said, that deer's real. I shot it. And he said, yeah, right. And just kept on walking. So, you know, it, it just kind of it, it, it just kind of ingrained in me about how people can lose it over big antlers. And right. I was never into big antlers anyway. I've always kind of been a, a menacing guy. But, you know, I've, I've always said people get too enthralled in that. And when I started, we started making television for Mossy Oak. We went national on TV in 94 on TNN. And Tyson and I both agreed that, you know, my, my goal was to not offend anybody. And I'm not talking about anti-hunters. I'm talking about the average guy. Sure. The guy that, that delivers milk or the lady checking you at the grocery store. Where, don't ever want to offend those people by showing them just giant deer because to me, their odds of seeing those giant deer are pretty slim, and I don't want to ever curb their enthusiasm, if you get what I mean. So anyway, it kind of molded me a little bit. So, Wow. It's, it's amazing to me how God works sometimes in, you know, having experiences that just guide you. And at that time, you don't know exactly the impact that it has, but now you look back on your career, and after hearing that story, you know, how that one experience over a certain amount of years has just influenced so many people and and for great reasons you know and and really shaped um a lot of hunting how we know it and, and again it's just it's fun to look back and see and, and tell that story of you know the impact that it's had on you personally and then how you've been able to share that with others yeah it, it, it was a big deal because like i say back then you know people are doing qdm now and there's all kinds of things going on and you see the quest for the 200 incher and you hear about 200 well there wasn't any hitting the ground back then i mean this is many 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 years ago four decades ago and to, and to hear the hoopla that was and some of the negative comments you know and it was just like it almost ended up being like a a negative thing for me but it, it's always influenced me but i've always been a common guy and i'm like you know deer hunting's or hunting in general it's for everybody and i always i read a book about the sport of kings one time i was over in england and all that kind of stuff and it's like man the last thing we need is for that to happen over here i, mm-hmm. I want to preach or you know talk about what can make it more inclusive and not 
exclusive if you get my drift. Absolutely. And that's kind of, and, and that's exactly why we wanted to have you on because over the, as I said before, I've just watched your career and I, and it seems like you're a huge advocate of it. And, and in this day and age, I mean, we, we've heard the numbers and we've shared it, I think almost every week that we lost 2 million hunters in five years and, and what in the world's going on. And, and in that time frame, it seems like trophy hunting or this whole chase in the 200 is, has grown so much to where it's like, maybe we need to get back to where it all began and where, and, and where we can get more people involved where they don't feel like they have to shoot a mature deer or hold out for a 200 incher. Well, you know, they're not exactly standing in line buying hunting license. So when somebody gets on me about, you know, my views or something like this, I, 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 I'll remind them really quick, whatever we've done or whatever we're doing at this point is not working. Mm-hmm. So anything you can do, and right now, what you got to remember is right now is the perfect storm. If there's so many millions of people who want to get into this. And and uh, maybe it's about the, the venison, it, wanting to know where your food comes from. I, I, you know, I, I credit it to some of the TV shows that are on right now, major, major networks, you mm-hmm. know, Life Below Zero, The Last of the Alaskans, all that. And those people are harvesting moose and caribou and field dressing them on TV. They would never let us show that. Yeah. And yeah. everybody's so interested in that. It's a great time to cast a big net and get some people involved. And, you know, when you, when you restrict somebody to, like, Man, I ain't going to. Sh- I heard a guy on TV the other night had a giant deer in front of him and something was wrong with it. You know, his G2 was broke or whatever, but he said something to the effect of, you're never going to kill that great deer if you shoot those good ones. And it just sent a chill down my, my, my spine. I was like, golly, man, he, not all of us can grow 200 inch deer. I sure. can grow them on my farm, which ain't, which, which is not my goal. My goal mm-hmm. is to have. Maximum maximum carrying capacity. Yeah, for them grandkids, you know. Target and there's rich nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Target rich environment. I, that's that's what I want for my place. But I think we get so caught up in that, and you know, I blame television. You know, when we when we aired our, our first show in '94, there was only three, maybe three hunting shows on the network, and was always a big. We love telling stories. But as TV progressed, now there's three or four, whatever, full-time networks, and people get caught up into shooting those giant deer in the Midwest. And, well, we all don't hunt there. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's not my goal. My goal is not to be in Iowa on November the 7th. You know, my goal is to be getting my little farm ready for Thanksgiving week when my family's going to be hunting. And, hey, I got just as much right to be excited about hunting as the guy that killed a 200-inch deer every year, as far as I'm concerned. So. Darn right. Darn right. Now, because you recently got onto the board with QDMA, Quality Deer Management Association, and, of course, like we talked about, your career has had a huge impact with that and your mindset. And can you talk about you know, your position there on the board, what it is, you know, goals with QDMA and yourself, you know, joining those forces together, you know, looking into the future, what is it that, you know, you would love to accomplish and look back in five years by getting that board position, you know, for hunting in general? Well, you know, I'm a big Brian fan, Brian Murphy. I love him. He's been, he's been the driving force of that. I mean, there's a lot of people involved in that, but 
you know, uh, Brian would come by the, our booth at the SHOT Show every year or ATA, and we would sit down and visit and uh, for an hour. You know, he would ask me about this and that and this and that. <clears throat> and I always told Brian, I said, look, from my perspective, 20,000 feet above looking down, Cutie May is all we have. They're the bar mm-hmm. as far as whitetails. I said, number one, our deer hunting organization should have a million members. It should have a lot. Sure. And uh, I said, you got some of the greatest biologists on staff there ever. But I said, sometimes when they talk, it's a little over my head. And the, I think the average guy in a hunting lease or hunting public lands, sometimes he's not interested in that. I said, man, I'd love to see it. I was like, hey, first thing I'd do is change the name to the Quality Deer Hunting Association. And anyway, it's a fresh perspective on and they were already kind of going down that road because they they accomplished their mission in my eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody knew about Q, QDM when they started. And now everybody quotes them. Everybody does that. Well, in my opinion, they've been such a success. They need to rewrite their mission statement. And let's see what we can do to get hunters involved in hunting. Because the QDM will become a natural part of that. But the first thing you got to do is get people hooked. You got to get them out there. Let's focus on access. Let's focus on education. Here's a simple here's a simple math equation for you. And I, and I think I said this at the convention, but I said if everybody here that hunts would take one person, and it doesn't have to be a kid, and you know your kids, my kids, all them hunt because they're blessed, and we're going to make them hunt, but. I guarantee you there's 50 neighbors in your neighborhood. One guy would love to go hunting. He don't know where to start, don't know how to start. Find him and take him. If he buys a hunting license, all of a sudden we've doubled our numbers. Just If every hunter took another new person, got him a hunting license, and spent a week with him, taught him how to do it, we double our numbers at one time. Mm-hmm. And, again, that's, like I say, it's the perfect storm. But that, I think it was my perspective on uh, – you know, the food, the, the the fun, what can be achieved outside. I wrote an article for their magazine last week, and it was about little hunters talking about the first hunt with one of my grandkids. And it was just the most precious thing ever. But to me, it's all about let's put our arms out there and see how many people we can gather up because we need way more members in QDMA. It's a great organization. Absolutely. And everything you said, I just want to give a great big amen on that one. Um, but there was one thing <laughs> I saw that you did here recently, I think it was the end of October, um, that I, I hope that you'll share the story with. It. The QDMA National Youth Hunt looked like a great hunt. I watched your video. Um, I, you said a line in that that I thought was so fantastic. And he said, you can't change the world 12 kids at a time, but it's a great place to start. Um, seemed like you had a lot of fun. Share that story with us, please. Yeah, that, that that's the first national youth hunt I've been involved in. I've done, you know, you guys have learned that if you, you got to love hunting so much when you do what you do or I've done that you got to almost be willing to give it up mm-hmm. because you're not going to be able to hunt much. But, and I've kind of, that's been my whole life, but Anyway, when they asked me to go to the National Youth Hunt, <clears throat> I said, yeah, I'm in because I, I got a YouTube uh, channel. I'm, you know, I, I like to post stuff on there that's kind of behind the scenes. But, And I've been to countless youth hunts, veteran hunts, law enforcement hunts, everything. 
but I was a little bit blown away when I got to the QMA National Youth Hunt on several levels. Number one, on how the kids were picked. And, man, they got to go through a process, and most of them are, I won't say underprivileged, but never hunted before. You know, and they uh, they kind of write an essay on why they would like to get hunting. And they uh, they started over there with the educational thing. Man, they had the U.S. Army uh, marksmanship team there to teach them how to shoot and gun safety. And Brian and uh, I forgot who else was there. You know, on the biologic part, they had class that night, and it was just an amazing, amazing event. And a beautiful place we had to hunt. The temperature was a little warm. The weather was bad. But it's like, you know, if everybody would do this, pretty soon the wave of, hey, we lost 2 million hunters would start switching because what's happened is guys my age, you know, the average age of a hunting license purchaser goes up one year every year, which means the guy that's buying a hunting license every year is the same guy. He's just getting a year older. So what what can we do to change that? Well, you got to get that second generation coming, that new wave. And buddy, they have a lot of distractions. Yeah. And you know, my goal with with my grandkids was to somehow, and I knew this was an unattainable goal, but I, when I was a little kid, I could sleep all night the night before Christmas. Christmas Eve, I'd go to sleep, no no issue. The night before the opening of deer season. I would just sit around in my clothes to make sure I wasn't late. I couldn't sleep. I'd say, man, I want my grandkids to feel that. Now, they probably won't, but I'm going to do everything I can to make it available for them to see if it sticks. And if it don't, well, I tried. But, you know, starting with those kids and, and showing them the fun part and how easy it can be. And don't and don't confuse the issue with, well, that's only a two-year-old deer. That's a four-year-old deer or this or that don't don't confuse them with too much of that but let them kill a deer or two or three or four to see if they're going to like it teach them how to process it properly cook it and all that and man you got them hooked for life absolutely i don't know if i've ever heard you talk about it but for me what really got me hooked on the outdoors and then led into the deer hunting was the small game a rabbit squirrel quail hunting and then that led into turkey, and then it was like, okay. And, and I, I don't know if Dad just recognized my, my, the fact that I couldn't sit still and he knew that deer hunting might be disastrous if he introduced me to it too <laughs> early. But yeah. what about small game hunting? Do you do, when you're introducing young hunters, do you ever do any small game squirrel hunting, stuff like that? Well, you know, that's how I was introduced. My dad was a lifelong military guy, <clears throat> and his passion was fishing. And still to this day, the best fisherman I ever knew, and he never owned a boat. We had great public stuff down. When I was born, sort of the Corps engineers built the levee system all around the Mississippi River, and everywhere they dug the, those giant holes to make to bring the dirt in, uh, formed what we called a bar pit, mm-hmm. uh, a, a really big pond or small lake. And when the river would flood, of course, it would stock those bar pits, and those were all public, and we fished those things, so I was just fished out. He was the, But anyway, he didn't hunt much, but what he did hunt was squirrels because we would take the squirrel tails, dry them, and sell them to the MEPS company. Now, that's probably something you've never heard of, but MEPS used to be a little company, and uh, they would buy the squirrel tails for 25 cents, and we would sell them 
the squirrel tails and you know we'd get that check back from them for whatever it was five dollars or four dollars but that's that's how I got into hunting and I knew instantly I liked to hunting way more than I liked the fishing because my dad was like a fishing fiend but yes I I started uh, uh, my grandsons I'll take them you know we'll do all kinds of stuff it usually starts with BB guns and pellet guns and fishing and stuff like that don't have a ton of squirrels on my place so I got them into deer hunting uh, early, but I did it <clears throat> with pop-up ground blinds and crossbows, and I, I bought some of those uh, pods where you can set the crossbow in it. They don't have to mm-hmm. hold it the whole time. I learned early on you got to kind of make it fun for them and, and a little bit easy for them now to a point that might be bad, but the just like I'll let them take their, uh, a little, their pad with them and play games till about four o'clock and then we start listening but right you, you can't just tell a kid nowadays he can't use that or have it or you'll lose mm-hmm. you know the 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 video games are as part they're it's just part of their culture just like driving movies was when i was little but i tried to make them again see deer make it comfortable make it fun for them and and right now i got them hooked pretty good so Right. The rest is kind of history. Once they finally, you know, see deer, watch them come in, watch them approach, and they're they're in close proximity to them, whether it's ground level or from a box blind, elevated box blind. The rest is history when when you have that experience and you share it with them, and they can just be a part of it, kind of full body. And you know, they're not watching through a screen. It might be binos or it might be through a, a camera lens or something. But if they're there, that presence, I think that's the point where, you know, the awe of creation and, and how everything works takes over and that's the hook right there for them. Yeah. I had to be careful not to force it on anybody. Cause I mean, it's just who I am. <clears throat> Same way with my girls. I had girls and I didn't make them go hunting. I took them some when they were little and I can remember walking to, and I didn't have food plots back then. We'd go to the wherever national forest or something I'd have a blind, and I would have Barbie dolls, and I, I knew I wasn't going to see any deer, but I wanted them to be outside. Yeah. And the same way with these little guys, and they'll let you know when they're ready. <clears throat> one of my favorite stories uh, is the, one of the middle grandsons, Matt. I uh, I bought uh, two crossbows. I had three grandsons. Now they're 10, 9, and 6, but when Matt was 5, Walker had already killed when he was a year older. And uh, I would let them shoot those crossbows. And to them, that's bow hunting. I'd never touched a crossbow until then. But they loved it. And they loved to go shoot the crossbows. And I was like, you want to go deer hunting? You let me know. But I wouldn't force it. Mm-hmm. And we were out there one day. And it was actually during bow season. And Matt was over there. And he shot that thing some. And he, uh, it was like already 3.30. He said, Pop, I'm ready. And I said, ready for what? He said, I'm ready to go deer hunting. And, man, I had the spots ready, so I loaded him up. And before we went back there to the little food plot, he he drew a, a deer on a piece of paper. And I still got this piece of paper. It'll, it'll make me cry sometime. But anyway, he drew a deer, and he said, now, put an X where I'm supposed to shoot it again. I don't want to forget. So I put an X, and he rolled that thing up put it in his pocket, and we went back there. And he took that piece of notebook paper and unfolded and stuck it in that ground blind behind the little carbon rod there and, mm-hmm. and you're talking about 
divine intervention. The first two deer that came out were like does, you know, no fawns with them, like two-year-old does, 90 pounds. I was like, holy cow, that's the perfect deer to shoot. And he, he was looking through the scope and all this, and it was 30 yards. I ranged it. I had my little video camera running. And uh, anyway, he said, I, he said, Pop, I can, I, I, I'm good to go. I can shoot it. I said, now you got to put the second dot, not the first one. I got it. And I said, well, okay, whenever you, boom, and buddy, he ten ringed that deer 30 yards. And I was just, I had never been more shot in my whole entire life. And uh, the deer ran 40 yards through the little thicket. I heard it crash. And uh, we sat there a minute, and I was explaining to him about, you know, why you have to wait when you're bow hunting and how the broadhead does its thing and all that. Mm-hmm. He sat there and he said, he said, we need to say a prayer. And I said, okay. And, he, and why I didn't record this, I need to be hitting the head with a shovel, but I, I didn't. <laughs> I had the camera there. I, but he said, dear God, please help me find my deer. It's my first one. Have a good week. Amen. <laughs> and I thought I was going to cry. Uh, but anyway, I called, I texted his dad, who was just over there doing some chores, and we found the deer. And it was just he he understood then everything about it. Of course, mm-hmm. the deer was bloody when we got there. We loaded it up and we went and field dressed it, and we had fried back straps the next day. And I showed him everything I did to it to cook it, and just he just moved right on to the next thing. It was like when he was ready, he let me know. Uh, same and one of the most impactful things I've ever seen, and it's funny, some people don't recognize a, a defining moment. But my granddaughter, who's 14 now, but she was a little bitty thing. We went fishing in a little pond on my place, and we caught some really nice catfish. They were about three pounds at the time. We caught a mess of catfish, and then we went back to my little shop, and I showed her how I clean catfish. Got the pliers out, skinning those catfish and all that thing. Ended up getting them real pretty and clean. Then we went to the house, and later that night, we had a little fish fry. And she was sitting there eating that catfish, and she said, Hey, Pop. I said, What? She said, We caught those fish, and we cleaned those fish, and now we're eating those fish. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Wow. You know, I mission accomplished that's all i ever wanted you know for my girls all i ever wanted to know was like where meat comes from and while we're eating supper i want them to be able to understand the lingo of of hunting and stuff like that and so it's not hard to do you just gotta you gotta take the time and toxie's the guy I work for that owns Small Ships says it all the time i don't care how wealthy or how much land you got or anything the most valuable thing you'll ever have is your time. And if mm-hmm. you can get to the point where you're willing to share your time and make that happen, that's a valuable gift right there. But that's, uh, I've learned, and I was talking to Robbie Kroger. He's got a great thing going on called Blood Origins. And I did an interview with him day before yesterday. And I was like, if, if I could express one thing to people, which I'm not anything special, but I've learned that the more you give, the more that keeps coming back. And pretty soon you can't give away enough stuff, whether it's your time, your knowledge, uh, an item. The more you give, the more it comes back. And uh, people need to kind of have a giving or a, or a serving spirit to teach somebody how to hunt. But that's, the, uh, that's to me, that's the only hope we got. So, 
definitely agree on that. It's that servanthood, you know, spirit and mentality. Um, there's definitely a full circle aspect to it, and and there's it's very rewarding um, committing to being a servant. Um, that's for sure. I, I gotta say, you know, we have a yeah. long list of things to that we were wanting to ask you, Ronnie, and and uh, okay. you pretty well covered a lot of them with all your stories. It was like, how can we introduce new hunters? What's your words of wisdom? Man, you were just full of information. Um, I'm just sitting back here enjoying the stories and and your approach to introducing youth. And you guys, uh, Mossy Oak, have started kind of a thing to get uh, veterans and first responders, I believe, other people, maybe not the youth, but more focused on the uh, on first responders and veterans. And would you share kind of what that message is, what you guys do with that program? Yeah, we we've always done that. <clears throat> you know, it's it's always been on television. You know, we've taken veterans. I I could start. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many veterans hunts we went on. My dad was a twenty year guy in the army, and I didn't go in. I was about to sign up, and he asked me. He said, "Look." He said, don't join until we, he said, I want a year where we can fish and hang out. I said, okay, dad. And then during that year is when I met Pam, my wife. And once I met her and, and lassoed her into marrying me, I was like, I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> I, I kind of re- regretted not being in the Army. So I've always felt this obligation to give back, give back, give back. And we've mm-hmm. done it for decades. Foxy's the most unselfish person in the world when it comes to Hey, go do this. I don't want to be on TV. Go do this. Use my cabin, whatever. And we've done it forever. But the the vehicle to get that message out has changed. <clears throat> so now we got a bunch of young guys like you, you two, who are doing it on you know Facebook and the, the website and Instagram and all that. And it's the Honor Series. <clears throat> Jody Jody Davis is a guy that's kind of editing that and shooting most of that, and he's. The first three or four, he's taking people that we've already been introduced to way back in the past and probably didn't do a, a really good job to, like Will Jimeno, who was a, mm, yeah. a police officer who was buried on the rubble of 9-11. You know, people like that, because to me, those are the people that deserve your time. You know, I, I can do a, a, a corporate outing right now, a hunt where we have whatever, sponsors, customers, and and I'll hear a guy complain about his stand wasn't facing the right way or something, and I'm just kind of inside. I'm rolling my eyes going, really? Dude, we just hunted six guys in wheelchairs, you know, trying to get them a turkey because they had their legs blown off. So I don't think we can do enough for those veterans. And, again, it's like the kids thing. You're not going to change the world doing six or eight at a time. But I always tell them, I said, if you're doing something, then you're not doing nothing. So Mossy Oaks always had a big heart. Taki does too. One of my favorite projects we're working on right now is called SOL, S-O-L-E, which is an acronym for Sportsman Organized for Law Enforcement. Mm-hmm. And the reason, it's law, the reason it's law enforcement is that you look at the veterans thing and there's just, I don't know, thousands of groups helping military people, wounded, not wounded, all that. And that's great. God bless the USA. Not a lot going on for law enforcement. So we uh, we picked out three groups that already have these uh, organizations in place. One of them is called COPS, which is Concerns of Police Survivors, which is kind of self-explanatory, what they have to deal with. 
One of them's called Below 100. And Below 100 is all volunteer and law enforcement guys who are specially trained, and they go into smaller towns and, and offer free uh, life-saving, defensive driving training to small law enforcement agencies. It's a great group of people. And the third one's called Spirit of Blue, and they buy equipment for, you know, small towns, you know, whether it's body armor. Actually, their number one request from Spirit of Blue is tourniquets, if you can believe that or not. But mm. we're raising money for those three groups in the name of Soul, and our great governor, the Honorable Phil Bryan here in Mississippi, wrote the first check for that, and he's helping us raise money so far. We've, we're just getting it up off the ground. We've already raised about $50,000 for those three groups. And, that's um, incredible. That's very fulfilling. And, and Taki's very giving of my time and his to let us do that. Very proud of Mossy Oak for those, those type of reasons. No, no doubt. And I don't want to turn the focus off Mossy Oak, but kind of get back to that, that partnership with QDMA and how, you know, it's, it's nothing new. Um, you guys have been partners for for a very long time, and and you know you talked about you know their their kind of change of focus, but their success with their their previous mission um, in educating hunters. Can you kind of forecast their success with this new mission um, of of you know just getting new hunters out there? I know they're big on the the venison donation, <laughs> everything like that. Um, what do you anticipate their impact being uh, for hunters, um, hunters to come, and the, just the hunting heritage as well? And how how's Mossy Oak intertwined well, in all that? Well, you know, uh, we, we're, we're now the official camouflage of QDMA, which I'm very proud of. We've kind of always been that, but it's official now. <clears throat> and, you know, being on, being on the board, I feel like I can – offer up different ideas and stuff but what qdma needs more than anything is they need membership and they need cash they got the right ideas they have right they have turned the corner and they're focused they're focused like a laser i mean they they've already been to they've been to some uh like these uh downtown markets where people sell fresh vegetables and stuff the farmer's market and they'll be there cooking venison and people will come up and go wow that's great I would love to do that. Oh, you're interested in hunting. Here's a QDMA pamphlet. They, they know what to do. They need ammunition. So right. that's what we need to do. I mean, we need to make the QDMA, we need to fill them up with a million members because the, the leadership's there, the board's there, the employees are there. They've got some young people who understand social media. Uh, I think we just need a little time, and we need to get – we need to be relentless. I tell people all the time in, uh, that are doing PR and marketing, stuff like that, it ain't, it's not about that Grand Slam home run. It's about constantly hitting them little singles. It's repetition. Keeping that name out there, being relentless, and like you need to join the QDMA. So if we do anything, we need to bring awareness for the QDMA and let's get as many members as we can because I'm, I'm telling you, I've seen the inside now. They are fully capable and ready to do whatever. Leadership, board of directors, employees, vision. They've got it all. We just got to make everybody realize, hey, QDMA is the deer hunter. That's where deer hunters belong. Let's get behind them. Let's grow that thing and get it where it needs to be. Absolutely. You know, and I think even for me, I'm a, I guess I'm a little bit guilty of it because – 
um, just following along QDMA. And uh, for some reason, I think uh, a lot of people automatically, this goes with everything we've been saying today, but for some reason, people always associate QDM with, okay, you have to wait to shoot the deer when it's mature. It's all about shooting a bunch of does and waiting until they're mature. And that's not QDMA at all. And uh, we've talked about it a little bit, but that's just kind of, to me, it's like just getting the awareness that, no, this is where all deer hunters belong. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's not about, it's about the health of the herd, not growing that giant deer. If the deer gets giant and that's, that's your goal, that's fine. We're, they're putting their arms around everybody. You know, there's nothing you can learn better than how to supplement the food with a food plot, whether it's clover or legumes, whatever it is. You can learn that at QDMA. You can learn everything you need to know. Then what you do with that information is kind of your business. Nobody says you need to shoot every two-year-old deer that comes around, but if a two-year-old eight-point comes in front of my grandson or my wife or one of my daughters, it's getting shot, and that's <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah. You know, that there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. I'll tell you, here's what's wrong, and I'll tell you a quick story if we got time, but this, this kind of sums up what the issue is. I, took, I went with M.R. James, the founder, publisher of Bowhunter Magazine, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. And he wanted to kill a, a white-tailed deer spot and stalk. And this was late in the year. And I'm like, that ain't going to happen. I've been deer hunting my whole life. That's crazy. But anyway, <laughs> he had a place down in Texas where he could make that happen. It was down there, part of the, off the King Ranch, close to the coast. And the coast, the winds blow all the time. So your movement's kind of covered up. And I was like, well, you know what? We might get pulled off down there. Anyway, we go to down there and it's... Uh, I pick him up at the airport. Back then, I had this giant beta cam that was real heavy. But anyway, as soon as we get in the camp, there's a guy there from way up north. He's got a, I think it was a longbow or recurve. And I introduced him. He's just one of six or eight other hunters there. Introduced M.R. James. He's like, like you're the guy that started Bowhunter Magazine. And then he went off on him because he had a compound bow and all this stuff on his bow, you know, uh, fancy air arrest and all that. And he just went off on him. I'm like thinking, how rude was that? But anyway, over the course of the next three or four days, this guy's on him. The traditional archer's on him all the time. Like, I can't believe you're not a traditional archer. You started the magazine. Anyway, like the fourth afternoon, we're like fixing to actually fixing to close the deal. I mean, it's fixing to happen. We got a, like a really nice 10 point, 20 yards. He's just, he's got his, you know, fingers on the, his calf hair tab back then. But anyway, I hear this rustling, and I'm right behind him over his shoulder, and I look to my right, and there's a blue indigo snake. You guys probably know what that is. Yeah, a lot oh, of people yeah. won't. But it, it, looks, it looks like something that came out of the jungle. It was giant, <laughs> and I'm scared to death of snakes. So I, I naturally make this <clears throat> kind of sound, you know, and move away a little bit, and I spook the deer. And MR's like, ugh. You know, whatever. Anyway, we go back to camp, and Mr. Traditional Archer starts in on MR again. And I'm in a bad mood, so I kind of lost it. And I got up in the guy's face, and I said, let me ask you something, Mr. Traditional Archer. I said, how would you get here? He said, well, I flew into Corpus Christi. I said, what's traditional about a jet airplane? Are those boots, those Rocky boots you got on, or those Leopold binoculars? I said, you should have hand-sewn your own moccasins and walked down here. And while you're at it, just shut up. <laughs> and uh, I looked over there, and Mr. James was just smiling like crazy. But I'm like, you know, that dude was like hunting for all the wrong reasons. 
Right. And in my eyes, if you got a hunting license and you're playing by the rules, you're on my team. I don't care how you do it. Gene Wesley, I'd one. He's got more great clothes than anybody. But he, his, I heard him say one time, it's not where we hunt or what we hunt or how we hunt. It's why we hunt. That's what I'm interested in. So, I mean, you know, we're all in the brotherhood, and there's too many people that's like the rifle guy, I don't like the muzzleloader guy, I don't like the compound guy, I don't like the recurve. To me, that's nuts. You know, I'm a, I love the bow hunt. But, if you know, January the 28th rolls around and I ain't killed a deer, I'll grab that bolt action 25 alt 6 in a heartbeat. It doesn't matter to me what anybody does. It's like, Hey, let's just uh, all join hands and join the QDMA and take this thing up a notch. So, Amen. I, I, it's so true. And I'll share <laughs> a little story on me. You know, Missouri legalized crossbows s- several years ago, and it was kind of like a- at that point in my life, I was like, ooh, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. It's going to be – it's going to lead to some yeah. bad things. And then I started seeing all these kids – start getting to go hunting earlier and I was like whoa this is actually really good for hunting this okay I'm just gonna nope I like crossbows being legalized now well sure it's good for it's good for the economy Ted Nugent Ted Nugent does some of the best talks ever when you're talking about baiting versus this versus that and all that but I had a big politician call me one time and he said all right, give me your still on this bait. Give me your whole take on this baiting thing. They were, it was fixing to go to the legislature and all that. <clears throat> I said, here's the deal. I said, number one, they've been doing it with feeders in Texas for a 100 years. And it's still the go-to place if you want to go deer hunting and just see hundreds of deer. It, it works. I said, number two, anything that makes it easier for a new hunter, I'm all in. Mm-hmm. I said, outlaws have been dumping corn on the ground for forever. It's not that big a deal. It's whatever whatever makes it easier for a guy. You know, we're we're we're, we're over. We're, we're we can't see the forest or the tree. Sometimes it's like it ain't that big a deal. You do what you want to do personally, but don't hamper somebody else. If I want to put a feeder out and put a box blind there so my grandkids can see eleven deer this afternoon instead of nothing and the cutover, then I should be able to do that. And, uh, you know, don't let your personal hunting methods or virtues get in the way of everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Ronnie, you're always, uh, I always enjoy hearing your stories and, uh, your wisdom in the outdoor industry is uh, unmatched. How can people, you're one of, I'm one of my favorite people to follow along on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. How can people find you? Well, let me tell you a quick story about the social media stuff real quick. But anyway, <laughs> when my granddaughter was 11, she sat down by me on the couch. She said, Pop, I need to open you an Instagram account. And I'm like, okay, what's Instagram? <laughs> but anyway, she she showed it to me, and then she followed herself. So for a couple of weeks, I had uh, my granddaughter, and I would I said, this is the coolest thing ever. All, they, they live 25 minutes away, but... I could still see photos that she was posting. It was cute stuff. And she comes back in about a month. She said, you know, you're kind of famous. I'm going to make you public. And I said, okay. So anyway, then she showed me how to post a picture. And it started like the coolest thing ever because I love hearing from people. I love seeing their photos. And, uh, you know, so I've had an Instagram 
thing for a couple of years now. And then I had a, I opened a Facebook thing like 10 months ago. And uh, I have a YouTube channel. The Instagram is Cuz Strickland, same way on uh, Facebook. I have two Facebook deals. One's Ronnie Strickland, and the other one's Cuz, because it filled up. But And then I have a YouTube channel, which is my personal favorite. It's called Cuz 411. And 411 means information. That's what you used to dial on the phone when you needed to find contact. Nobody knows what that is, but... Back in the day when you had touchstone <laughs> phones, you dial 411, and the yeah. operator would come on there and say, can I help you? But anyway, the YouTube, Cuz 411, is my favorite because I shoot these vlogs, and uh, I can kind of show people behind the scenes uh, what I think is kind of funny and right. what's important, and it's very lighthearted and stuff. But those are the those are the social media things to get on me with, the Cuz 411 and Cuz Strickland on Instagram and Facebook. So. Awesome. And and that's where you can find, for the listeners, that's where you can find the QDMA National Youth Hunt, uh, the video I, I referenced earlier in the podcast. But, Ronnie, because it was just, it's it was an honor to have you. Um, great stories and uh, a lot of information. Hopefully the listeners enjoy it, share it, and uh, thanks for being here. Hey, look, again, it was my pleasure. I can't tell you how proud I am of you two guys that, you know, I've kind of been through your website and the podcast and stuff. You do a wonderful job. Your message is good. You're Christian guys. You understand it. And I'm telling you, the the more people that get out there and just promote hunting, and that's it, hunting with a period behind it, mm-hmm. the better we all are going to be. And, and to find two guys like you who get it, just like I said, it warms my heart. So, uh, you know, just like Patton said, don't, don't let the jerks get you down. Just keep doing what you're doing because you guys are on the right track. And I certainly appreciate you letting me be a small part of it today. Oh, thank, well, thank you, you so much. much. Appreciate that. Yes, sir. Anytime you want to talk turkeys, call me back now. That's, that's my real number one deal. So we need to do this again about February or March. Well, we're going to take you up on that 100%. Yeah, way better stories with turkey hunting, I can promise you. <laughs> awesome. I, I don't know how you're going to talk today, but we'll sure try. Thanks thanks again, Ronnie. All right, you guys have a great rest of the hunting season. I'll be, I'll be ready when you are. See you later. See ya. There you have it. Mr. Cuz right there. That was uh, a, a breath of fresh air, I guess I should say. Just very... I don't know. I I feel like every time he speaks, there's just so much to learn. He's been around the industry for a long time. I mean, I was talking about when I first started watching him when I was, I don't know, probably in eight, eight, nine, ten years old. And, uh, of course, now uh, hanging out with him some, he hasn't. I don't don't feel like he's changed a bit. And And every time he starts talking, it's just like I almost, my jaw opens. I'm just like trying to take it all in. And today was no different. I think that there's certainly, you know, some words that automatically you think of when you think of some people. And and for me, with him and listening and, and conversing back and forth here in the stories, the impact that he's had, uh, and a consistent impact throughout the industry of his message, you know, hasn't wavered through throughout any time. Um, the word just genuine comes to mind for me. And knowing that that has has helped lead people into the outdoors and continues to do so. And in, in a strong way, he's branched out and, and, you know, now is on the board of directors with QDMA and their organization. Like 
where why would you look elsewhere for that you know that's he's just a such a strong role model you use the word genuine i you probably the word comes to mind is inspiration mm-hmm. um because mm-hmm. you watch a guy i mean he talked about being no different working for, i forget what he said he was doing but just kind of a, a blue collar guy working at it and uh met the right people and he's been at mossy oak for a long long time and and that, still that, hasn't changed. That says though too, if you're if you've been with a company for that long, you know just about his character though too, and the re- relationship and the, and the ideals that you know if he's got that, so does the company. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that yeah. same that same mindset, um, and that's just awesome. Yeah, to have that big of an impact um, and a positive impact for yeah. what everyone's out there trying to do. And I think you know that's the same message again. We're all hunters. We're all out there just trying to spend Enjoy time outdoors. It. Exactly. Harvest some game, whatever it is, of, of any size. It doesn't matter. I don't care yep. if you're a duck hunter or goose hunter, dove hunter, squirrel hunter, whatever. Rabbit, chipmunk. At the end, at the end of that <laughs> little phrase, you're all hunters. So yeah. that, that's just important. And I, I just I would encourage you to follow along uh, and go like Cuz's pages, social media handles. Go check him out on YouTube because he has some just – I, I love following along because even if he was just posting the pictures of him and his, I think it's his youngest grandson he calls Cranky. Cranky. And uh, he posts so many pictures of him and it just always cracks me up. But you can definitely tell that. Personality. The, the kid's uh, got some personality. Yeah. <laughs> but I was going to say, you could definitely tell that he loves getting youth into the outdoors. Yeah, and, sure. and it That's definitely motivates me to do the same thing. Um and I'm, I, I just, I just love talking to him, love listening to him speak, and uh, I'm already looking forward to the spring when we get him oh, to talk buddy. turkey hunting. Yeah, that's gonna be a so, good one. That's I think sure. every time I've ever really got to hang out and talk with, because it's, it's always been close to deer season or mid deer season, so mm-hmm. we haven't ever it's really a, talked turkeys about deer season. So. That's yeah. honestly just prepare because that's not going to be an hour long podcast. I guarantee it. It's going to be much longer. <laughs> yeah. We're all turkey nuts, and that's just going to be fun for sure. And for too sure. many turkey but, stories to tell. Yeah, and and once again, uh, speaking of mossy oak, yes, this this is kind of an important um, part of what we do, and we we don't talk about it all that often. But really, it it truly is very important. Um, We're both agents for Mossy Oak Properties out of Branson, Missouri. So what does that mean uh, for anybody who is listening? It simply means that if you are interested in property within the state of Missouri, we can help get you to the right track of land and find that for you and work through that process with you, Um, whether we represent you or we refer you to the right agent um, in a certain area. And, and that's, that's what we, that's why we became agents. That's what we want to do is to find the right tracks of land for every need that ever, you know, the people want. And and that's, I'm excited for that. Oh, no doubt. And I, I think by now, if they've listened to any podcast at all, they know that we're obsessed with land. And I, I, this is just another part of that. If, if, and so if you're listening and you're looking for land, Call us. In the state of Missouri, it can be anywhere. It doesn't matter. We'd love to represent you and work with you through that process, again, of finding the right piece all the way from there to transaction to getting you started in the right management techniques and processes that need to happen on the farm to basically reach your goals. Absolutely. And and just getting us to the property, let's say that you're interested in land and maybe it's in even northern Missouri 
but you're just you want to go ahead and start the search, give us a shout. We'll we'll be glad to help you any way we can. And and then if you find the right piece and we can represent you on buying that property, just getting us there, whether it's just getting us there to help you finalize the deal, we're all since we're already there, we're already going to be taking steps to improve it. Get the management plan. It's basically it comes <laughs> as a default as we walk around a property or whatever. You know, I've represented some buyers before, and it's you know, hey, well, what what would you do here? Or or the other question that becomes, hey, you know, this is a pasture now, but what would it be like if I did this? Or would you suggest putting this here? Yeah, absolutely. Or you know, let's continue walking. Let's see what the rest of the property how it lays out, and then we'll talk about that. You know, we can always could drive back over here and see it again. I'll explain in better detail why that may not be it. But that's the, that's the important thing. Every property is so different. I know we always say it. But what it what a property is right now, its current state doesn't mean like it has to stay that way forever. And the, bare, bone, the, <laughs> the bare bones of a property is the most important thing to look at. Not, not just what you see, but what is possible on that place. And, and I think that's, you know... I guess we have the eyes to be able to look into the future of, oh, you can do this. You yeah. can, it, this, this property is capable of producing this or having this. or And, and frankly, we can help them avoid some major errors that might happen. Um, sure. Uh, sure. Of going in, one thing that I often see, and we've talked about it on one of our podcasts about uh, laying, out, laying out food plots and a road system is people go in there and they'll, doze out a road that just goes straight down the spine of a ridge and then they'll Mm -hmm. put a food plot or a big two acre food plot and then the road continues right through the middle of it and then there's a little bit of a strip of timber and then another big food plot and that's just like one of the biggest errors that you can make when laying out a property and and so it's always it always helps you and helps us to be there before the initial dirt is broken if you will or the ribbon is cut Right. Um, because we can lay it out a whole lot better with a blank canvas rather than a half half done portrait, and then we have to kind of correct it if that's the case. So yeah, but anyway, the 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 important thing is if if you have interest in land, you know whether it could be investment property, it could be hunting tracks, recreational tracks of all sorts. There's lakes, everything. We can find it. We can yeah. get our hands on it. And, or if and it's a working cattle farm that. that's going to have a little bit of hunting on it, we'd be yeah. glad to go there and see that. No doubt. I'd absolutely love to see that. So um, I think that uh, you got anything else to add? I, no, I, that, I think that's Cuz said it all right there. That was, that was pretty much a, a grand slam out of the park. He nailed it. Um, I, that, that was just fantastic, and I, uh, I can't wait to have him on again. I've always been told as a young young kid, you look to the people who are older, who have who've walked the walk, talked the talk, to get your wisdom and to get insight. Um, I, I think that you know he's a prime example of that as to what really is important when it comes to hunting, the hunting heritage. Yeah. What really should our focus be? And oftentimes, and I don't care who you are, what no no matter what situation in life, sometimes you can get off that path just a little bit. And and you know he's seen it. He's seen all different walks of life especially in in when you're involved in the cameras and the tv shows oh, yeah. and all that oh, it's yeah. easy to go you know i, I want to be the guy in front of the camera and and, and his uh, you can see his direction and his path is very clear mm-hmm. he's he's mm-hmm. about passing on the heritage and making and ensure ensuring that there will be hunting in the future just by keeping the tradition going on so i i think he's a solid reminder of that um 
and he's got books. I know he's got books out there and, and the, the YouTube thing. Check it out. Great source of information. For sure. I think that pretty well wraps up this week's Land and Legacy podcast. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll catch you next week. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering the podcast, or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Yeah.